Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick, and when I started this podcast back in March 2020, I thought we'd do it for a couple of months to hopefully keep people entertained in the absence of shows and events during the first lockdown. I never imagined we'd still be going almost two years later, and we wanted to do something a little bit different to celebrate our 50th episode. We came up with the idea of we came up with the idea of bringing together our regular roundtable team for a discussion of the top 50 post-war alphas, because it felt like there must have been roughly that many. When we looked into it, there's anywhere between 60 and about 300, depending on how you define what a model is. So to try to get to 50, we needed our own definition. And the definition we took was entirely arbitrary. We decided that anything that was recognisably a different body shape was a model. So for example, all 105 coupes accounted as one model. Although that meant that your favourite exact model might not have been on the list, it should also have meant that it attracted more votes. Because whether you voted for the 1300 GT Junior or the 1750 GTV, you'd be voting for the same model. A 156 Sport Wagon is a different model to a 156 Saloon, because it's a different body style, but a V6 Saloon and a 1.8 Twin Spark Saloon are the same model. We did count GTA and GTAM models separately, but after all that it still left us with about 62 different models. So what we needed was a scientific process to get down to 50. And, to misquote Douglas Adams, what we ended up with was almost but not quite entirely unlike a scientific method. We asked the roundtable team and our model registrars and section secretaries to vote on all 62, and we got votes from about a third of them. And then we included a link to rank our top 10 in the last newsletter. So that was open to all club members, and about 1% responded. So this top 50 doesn't in any way represent any sort of real ranking. But it did make it a bit easier to organise this podcast conversation and to provoke some shock, surprise and outrage amongst the five of us, let alone you. But before we start, there are some surprises that didn't quite make the top 50. And I guess the biggest surprise is the 916 Spider. It's such a popular car and it only missed out by a couple of votes. The GTV did much better, so the 916 is represented in the rest of the conversation. But a bit of a surprise to see that at 51. Less of a surprise to see the 90 down there. Most of the people I know who've owned or driven one think they're absolutely fantastic. Another surprise is that the Series 2 and Series 4 105 Spiders didn't make the top 50, but Series 1 and Series 3 did. The matter, again, is probably not a big surprise given the small sample size, but I've always had a soft spot for them. And then the other two are the 2000 Bellina and the Arna. I guess given that Ian Jeffcott owns a significant proportion of both models, there weren't many other people left to vote for them. So if we start with the 41 to 50 in reverse order, we talked about the 90 being just outside. There was, there was a strange situation with Alpha in the, in the early 80s when we had the, the 90, the 6 and the Giulietta, which were all kind of very close together in terms of the, uh, of the markets they serve. So perhaps it's not a surprise to see the, the 116 Giulietta at joint 49th. Actually, we don't have a 50th place. Perhaps more of a surprise given how popular they were and how many of them there are still around. Uh, it's tied in 49th with the, the 159 Sport Wagon. I think probably a couple of us have had either 159 saloons or Sport Wagons. It, it's, if I'm totally objective about it, it's probably one of the best alphas I've owned. So I guess nice to see it in the top 50, but uh, a little bit of a surprise to see it that far down. 1900 Sprint Speciale is the next one up in 47th. Actually, equal 47th with the 2600 and then obviously to me as the, the model registrar the biggest surprise all the way down in in 46th place is the 939 spider outrageous <laughs> it is 
and 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 not the only nine three nine in that in that bottom ten either. Julieta S said next, and and then all of the other Julieta one hundred ones bar the the spider. The last of that trio of exec saloons, the six is is in at forty three, and the Alfetta saloon, which you know kind of is in the same kind of bracket. And then that that was equal forty first with the Brera, which again, given the the number of of those cars still around and the passion for them, um, lower than I was expecting. Brera is very special. It is a very very pretty car. So that's the the Brera is the last of the the first block of the the top fifty. David, take us through the the next ten. Okay, well, look, I mean, I think this is a a list of ten fabulous Alfa Romeo. So I think. It, you know, I'd be delighted to own any of these cards. And I think if we go in order that they've been voted at 40th place is the 105 Julia Saloon. Look, I know the Batonis get a lot of love. I absolutely adore the 105 Julia Saloon. It, to my mind, it's one of the best looking Alfa Romeos. Um, and the other thing about it, it, it lasted, it was in production for like 15 or 16 years. So it's, you know, it's it's got the longevity as well as uh, the beauty in my mind. And it was the th- it was the thing I came out of the Italian job lusting after rather than a mini. Yes, that's true. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And then we have uh, in joint 38 is a 145 cracking three-door car. I've driven a couple of those. I haven't owned a 145, but I have driven a couple of them. And again, sort of in the mid, late 90s, you'd see them bombing around, you'd see them in dealers. And I think the 145 is a massively underrated car. And, but joint 38 with the 145 is the 155, and we'll type 167. You know, the, you can't really think about the 155 without thinking about motorsport, without thinking about touring cars, DTM. And the drivers like Tarquini and Bartels and Larini and Nanini. And, you know, the 155 is one of those sort of all-time recognisable cars that you associate with motorsport. It's an absolutely beautiful car. I went for that first, um, the Thruxton round of the British Touring Car Championship where the wings came out and uh, and, they st- and they started oh, right. winning in my then new uh, Myrtle Green 155. And I have never spent right. so long in a car park at the end of an event trying to get into my car, being interrupted by complete strangers who just wanted to know about this car. They just seem to blow everything else away on the track. And it's whenever you see them, even the replicas, you just sort of stand and stare at them. Even when I was at the uh, Museo Historico a couple of years ago, I must have spent the most time right downstairs staring at the, the 155. It's the most incredible thing. And you find new, different bits of it every time you look at it. In 37th is the Julietta, the recent 940 Julietta. And, of course, I'll be known as, as the person who complains about the volume of doors in the Julietta. But, it, look, it is a fabulous car. Same designer as the Mito designer, so I can't really complain. It's sold loads, and it's loved and modified uh, around the world. So the Julietta is a fabulous car. In joint 35 is the Alpha 75 and again, it's it's sort of like from those 80s, early 90s, those transaxles. I think the 75 is a fabulous car. I'm surprised it hasn't got higher up on the list, actually, because I think a lot of people are fans of the 75. And, and I, th- I think it really has a, you know, a, a spot in history and a spot in, in Alfa Romeo's history books and our love as well for the 75. And then joint with the 75 is the Series 3 Spider. 
which was really the the spider of the 80s, wasn't it? I remember uh, giving away my age, sort of uh, early 80s, what would I have been, 10 to 12 or something, I don't know, 12, 13 or so. And I'd walk into the Alfa Romeo dealer and they'd have three of them lined up. And that was really, for me, that was the, the Alpha Spider and certainly the Alpha Spider of the 80s. And they have, they suffered a bit from the the federal spec bumpers and the, the stick-on rear spoiler, but they, they seem to be really picking up in value at the moment. It's the it's the affordable 105 Spider. Yeah, and I think I think in, as time passes, the, the whole sort of all chrome bumper versus all plastic bumper thing, the same in the MG world. I think that will just start to diminish over time. There's there's always going to be a love for the very early ones, but yes, I don't think the car is or should be devalued on the basis of that. It's still a, a thing of beauty. And then thirty fourth place, we have the one four six which is the type 930A as opposed to the 145, which is the 930B. So I think the 146 is another underrated car. I've only driven the 146 once for about five minutes. It drove great. I thought it was a fab little car. I don't know what they like to live with, but yeah, I think they are, again, underrated. They are not, they're not sort of top of people's list, but they're a really good little Alfa Romeo, I think. Now, I, had a, I had a TI as a company car when all of the salespeople at Microsoft at the time had, had 145 Cloverleafs. Yeah. And it was it was a nice nice little sleeper. It was as quick, not as obvious. And they've got, uh, for, well, the ones I've seen, they've got a pretty unique interior as well on some of the models. I really like the cloth. I'm a huge, huge fan of cloth interiors. I'm not a, a big leather fan, and I know that makes me sound like a weirdo. Not, not as much as the state sentence, I'm a big leather fan. Yes, true. That's probably almost certainly true. Um, <laughs> let's move on very rapidly. In 33rd place is a 159. Again, I'm surprised that's not further up the list. There's a lot of 159 owners. They are brilliant cars through and through. And, and for me, that was the sort of the alpha of the 2000s. And from memory, I think it was the first alpha to use Blue and Me. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Um, yeah, notable. Definitely a thing. Anyway, in 32nd place is the Julia GTC. And uh, I mentioned about the uh, Batoni Julia's GTC. I think it's rare as hen's teeth, isn't it? Because I think they only made them for a year or two in the mid-60s. Based on the Sprint GT, I think they only must have made seven, 800 or so. Really rare to see them over here. I'm not sure if there are more of them on mainland Europe, but they are absolutely beautiful. There was one at the uh, Autumn Alpha Day at the Yorkshire Wildlife Park, wasn't there? Um, absolutely fabulous car. And then finally, in my batch is uh, 31st position is the 156 Sport Wagon. Look, I've had a few 156. Is I've had a 156 Sport Wagon. The 156, obviously, the replacement for the 155. I think the Sport Wagon came in around 2000. It, it was the it was the first Sport Wagon since the 33. I think absolutely brilliant car. And I do, and, and I'm not sure again if I sound a bit strange with this, but I specifically remember the Catherine Zeta Jones advertising campaign for the station wagon where she climbs through it. I do. Is remember there any that. leather involved? I don't think so. I think there was cloth okay. only uh, for safety purposes. But yes, so the 156 Sport Wagon, I, again, I think it's a massively underrated car. I, I've spent more time in a 156 Sport Wagon than in the other Alpha. It's the only, only Alpha I've owned that I've done six figures in. Wow. Okay. Um, I did 135,000 in my 2.4 diesel facelift Sport Wagon. It's a fantastic car. Yeah, brilliant car. So there we are. So that's my rundown from position 40 down to 31. Nick, do you want to take us from, uh, from 30 to 21? Again, there's some 
I think there's some su surprises in here. We have a joint 29th, we've got the 2600 spider, which uh, I'm always a fan of a spider, I must admit. That's a bit of a, a rarity with its four seats. Joint 29th, 33 sport wagon, which is higher up than I would have imagined, maybe. Not as high as a saloon. 28, we have the GTV, which is very popular. Um, you mentioned earlier the spider didn't make the cut into the last lot, but the saloon or the coupe did. There were over four, well over 40,000 of those produced, and most of those still turn up at our events, don't they? So that's good. Um, Julie Zagato is a popular car with me. That's the first Alfa I remember looking at when I was nine on holiday in Italy, um, thinking, wow, I want to have my photograph taken with it. Gordon Murray has had one restored and uh, modified at Alphaholics recently, of course. Next two executive uh, saloons, if you like, 26, we've got the 164, made in good numbers, sold in good numbers. You don't see many of those about now. And number 25, we have the famous 156, European car of the year, sold in huge numbers in the UK and across Europe. But again, those numbers are dropping off very quickly now, unfortunately. 23, the 6C3000 is an odd, quite niche car to be this high up, I think. It's an interesting one because it, I, I, I have a, a book that's imaginatively titled Alfa Romeo, All the Cars, um, which is where the, the list came from. And I, I deliberately excluded uh, as many non-production, non-road cars as I could. Um, and the 6C3000 kind of slipped through because actually, although quite a lot of people voted for it and voted for it with, with quite high votes, put it quite high on their, on their list. It was only ever shown as a prototype and there was some competition cars built based on the, the platform. But it's a, it's a bit of a, an odd one. That. Yeah, that surprised me getting so high, I must say. But lovely car, but against, yeah, all, absolutely. Other, against all the other cars on the list. Yes. <laughs> cool. Uh, yes, so carry on. Next, we have the Julia Coupe, which I'm surprised is this low down, <laughs> having gone from once, surprised so high. Yeah. Um, that's a, it was a very popular classic within the club, isn't it? So I thought that would have been much higher. But, uh, that included all the variations of the 105, so Sprint GTs, GT Juniors, GTVs. Mm. Uh, then 22nd, we've got the 147 GTA, which is... Uh, Somebody's got uh, Clive Baker's vote in there. <laughs> his, his lovely Bousseau that we had on the uh, NEC last year. And then just ahead of that, strangely, is the uh, the normal 147. Uh, it's like the 1561 um, European car of the year, I think, when it came out. So. And the 147 GTA is my, my most irrational car purchase ever. <laughs> um, have, have, having turned up at the dealership to buy a 156 diesel sport wagon and left having put a deposit down on a 147 GTA. <laughs> and probably the one that I, I most regret selling. Yeah, I think you're not alone with that. I've not, I didn't myself, but I was so tempted. <laughs> and ended up with, I ended up the other way around and ended up with a diesel. But, <laughs> but well, I, I, I ended up trading the GTA in for a diesel sport wagon three years later. Yeah. But, uh, it was worth the delay. What a car. Yeah. I think going back to the the Julia, the, the, the one that, well, we'll be talking about in a moment, it, it didn't include the the 105 Julia GTAM, did it? So, And I think a lot had yeah. that high up, as we'll come on to see. Yes, and, and I guess the, the, the sad thing about those Julia Coupes in a lot of ways is how few of the of the various different 
iteration still exists, having not been converted into GTA and GTA M replicas, which again probably tells you why the GTA and GTA M did so much better. Yeah. Kirsty, you're going to take us up towards the top 10. Yes, we're getting very close to the top 10 now. So, unsurprisingly, there are some fabulous alphas in this list. Joint 19th place is the 166, which was a lovely executive saloon. Had the uh, Busso V6 option. Also famous for once being named as Britain's worst depreciating used car. But that just meant a bargain for everybody else. In joint place with that one is the Mito which is obviously one of the most popular of the modern alphas, with over a quarter of a million of them sold. Especially popular, I think, with the younger club members. And after that, in 18th place, we have the 33, which was a superb little car, great fun, and has kind of a unique place in alpha history with nearly a million of them produced. And, it, and it's, it's an interesting one, the 33, isn't it? Because it, at the time, it was seen as a disappointing replacement for the alpha suit. And yet it sold spectacularly well considering mm. the, the car that it followed uh, i had a, a 33 1.7 valve which was a absolutely cracking car and again there's now only a handful left yeah it's it's a it did surprise me again getting so high in the list because of that but it's it's a car alpha developed really well during its life the the late series from around 1989-90 was with when power steering came in it was transformed as a thing to drive and again it's another of those alphas that actually looks better in the metal than in the photos and i think there'll be a lot of members voting for it who who've owned them and remember them nice you know very very well but certainly, you're right, Guy, when it came out, and I remember that, although I was a youngster, it, it was a bit, little bit of a disappointment. But it's another one of those that can get under your skin with that boxer engine and everything. Mm-hmm. So in 17th place, we have the Stelvio, a really modern one, and the world's fastest production SUV at one point. Named after Italy's highest mountain pass, obviously. Very popular at the moment. And after the Stelvio, we have, in joint 15th place, we have the Alfetta GTV slash GTV6 interesting little car the little alpha there were some upgrades for the gtv version like c pillar logo and the two liter engine it's a bit of extra chrome i'm going to be a bit controversial again with the gtv6 i i think the gtv6 is probably the second prettiest alpha coupe there's been we don't count the 4c if you count the 4c as a as a mini supercar um in terms of volume production coupes i think there's only one car that that one coupe that Alpha oh. ever produced that's prettier, and that's in the top 10. Yeah, I love, love a GTV6. Uh, they, they get so nicely modified as well in a, in a subtle way. With the, It was probably one of the first that the modders really enjoyed back in the 80s, I'd say, with uh, lowered suspension like the racing cars and and uh, bigger wheels and uh, just fantastic things. There's a few about today that are just out of this world. When you arrive at National Alpha Day, some of my absolute favourites of all the cars there were GT6s uh, last year. I think it's the, the highest placed Bond car in the, <laughs> in the list. So sharing 15th place is the 156 GTA, which did have a separate production line to the standard 156. In joint 13th place is the Giulietta Spider, which is the obviously the Spider version of the original Giulietta, introduced in 1955. 
And the bodywork was Pininfarina, instead of Bertone. Yeah, beautiful looking things. And often when there's a public vote of the shows, they either win or come near the top because everybody loves all the chrome. It happened to be really good cast to drive as well. Sharing 13th place is the first series Spider, the Duetto, which is one of the most beautiful offers ever made, I think, personally, with that boat tail. Quite, not, quite nice to see um, the, the car and the car that replaced it in, in equal 13th place. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it's gorgeous. And they did a 1750 version where they removed the spider badging. It just says 1750 yeah. on the back. Great things. In 12th place, we have the TZ, Tubulari Zagato, which is, of course, a racing car in the 60s. Um, with that lovely cam tail giving it a really dramatic look. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, it's another one that, that almost didn't fit our criteria. Um, yeah. But the, the, there were enough Stradale <laughs> versions around to, to sneak mm-hmm. it in. 112. Yeah, and I adore the shape of the TZ2, which is why I put, had it in, up in my my personal ranking. I had it higher than this, but uh, they're f- just fantastic little things. And they, they look brilliant on the racetrack as well and compete so well. And then length place. I may be a bit biased on this one, but I'm very happy that my beloved GT made it up this far. And in fact, I'm not the only person who loves the shape of it. It was once spoke to the world's most beautiful compared. Yeah, quite rightly. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, with 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 the Basso V6 engine, it's it's such a lovely car to drive as well. It, it's stunning to look at, and it's a proper driver's car, provided you don't actually try and reverse <laughs> anywhere. So we've reached the the top ten. I'm going to hand over to to John to walk us through those. Yeah, I, w- I will do. And we've got again, as I bet if people are listening to this podcast, they've already got an idea of what's left. That's gonna that's gonna be up right up there. And of the top ten, six of the ones I voted for are in the top ten, and the top five very very close. So in tenth place is let's call it the new Julia, which uh, I think when it came out in 2016 just blew people away. Uh, not least for its looks, particularly again, uh, it's another brilliant alpha, alpha that looks absolutely brilliant in the flesh, but also the way it drove. And going back to rear wheel drive, being lightweight and having high power, that's before we get onto the Corifolio. Wow, what a machine. I, I'll never forget driving first one uh, I did at Millbrook Proving Grounds, and I deliberately got in the 150 BHP diesel version just to see how it felt before getting into a Corifolio, and it, and it blew my mind, that steering and everything. So deservedly for me, getting into the top 10. Just above that in ninth is the 4C. Fabulous little coupe that looks so gorgeous and and it links in quite closely in its looks with the overall winner that we'll lead up to. Again, it, it was it was almost a halo machine from day one back in 2013, 20, well, when we first saw the uh, the concept vehicle around 2011, but then when it appeared in 2013 in barely changed form at the Geneva Motor Show, wow, what a, what a device. And they are so fun to drive. But... We've seen um, a strong backing for the car that's shown today in the values that have just soared over the last 18 months to two years. Uh, you could have your pick for around £35,000 uh, about 18 months ago, and today uh, you're lucky to find one at 45000 And deservedly so, there's nothing like it. You get in the coupe and it's like getting in a Group C racer. 
and the style and all the racket. And we know that the little handling issues have been ironed out with some uh, modifications, not least from the factory, but also from people like Alpha Works in particular. Jamie Porter and team there have done such a great job uh, making them drive well. It's also the first mass-produced Alpha sold in the States since the 90s, isn't it? Which is obviously That's a very good point. important model for Alpha. Very good point. And it's got a strong following there. Yeah. The internet's alight with uh, people that own them and uh, there's some great forums and so on that uh, that interact with the USA. And it, Depending on your definition, the first affordable carbon fibre. Yeah. I mean, I remember when they were brand new and they were looking at 60,000, 70,000 when you've got all the toys on them, but certainly were compared to, say, a, a McLaren, half the price. Next up is the sensational new Julia GTA stroke M that is just mind, a mind-boggling machine that's Again, another Halo machine, really. And, and a, Alfa Romeo's present <laughs> to the Alfisti in, in 2021, really, uh, for the uh, anniversary. What a tremendous thing. Seeing it on our stand at the NEC show last year and actually being able to sit in it was, was sensational. What a, what a beautiful device. And by all accounts, it drives incredibly. Of course, I have driven it. Uh, it does. I just, <laughs> I just feel so hugely privileged to have driven it further than that. The four or five meters that you drove. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, so I managed to, to, to move it about five meters on the NEC breakdown day. <laughs> but I, I, I think to me the thing that's special about it, it, dynamically, visually, it's 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 an amazing car. But several uh, normally non-Alpha fan journalists have described it as the the best sports saloon ever made. Yeah, and given the trend to electric, you know, there the really is a chance that. That that's going to be the best petrol engine sports saloon that was ever made. It, you know, um, I think, and I, I think you don't. I, I think it can only go up this list as, as time goes on. I think in future it will. I mean, I remember all the size uh, of the price, but it sold out. Every single one went, which is well it staggered me as well. When you look at uh, how Jaguar's Project Eight didn't do so well, a similar kind of concept of device, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's the name, it's the Italianness of the whole thing, and and the way it looks helps too. Mm. Fabulous. Beating it in our list, though, number seven is the Montreal, the V eight one hundred five chassis based uh, machine, and I think that's that's really over the last few years gone up in people's estimation as such a stunning machine. The Gandini design device named after the Montreal Motor Show, where it was where it was shown at the Expo in the sixties. It's utterly distinctive, isn't it? Yeah, compl- that's a great word for it. It's the grill. You see that grill and you just instantly know what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the hooded the hooded headlights. And, mm-hmm. you know, even as, even, <laughs> even attending every single Alpha Day throughout the uh, mid-80s to date, uh, it was quite a few years before I realised that the grills over the headlights retracted when you switched the headlights on. So I only I ever saw them in daylight. <laughs> But uh, that's just one of the distinctive things, isn't it? <laughs> Being a motor racing and aeronautics geek, the fact that it's got a knacker duct in the bonnet is the thing that really does it <laughs> yeah, for me. Absolutely. And I can remember when I was young buying a model of one in Italy and the doors, and it imagines as a young boy seeing the, the shape of those doors and the cars. It's like, wow, this can't be a real car. Yeah, <laughs> just amazing. And next in front of that was the 105 series, Julia GTA M stroke M again. And wow, we had a couple of fantastic examples on our NEC Classic show stand this year. Richard Norris's Stradale version, 
being really the one that's in this competition. And of course, we had the Alphaholics GTAR. And thanks again to those guys for uh, providing them to show really well that uh, club members understand them and public alike. But uh, as a machine from dating from the mid 60s, uh, again, we should concentrate on the road side, which is the argument for this. But uh, what an incredibly successful racing car, too. And we see them today at shows, and uh, it's it's fabulous. I mean, I think it was one of the stars of the of National Alpha Day was the one in its completely original patina that was parked up almost anonymously near a brick building. And I I saw two or three people walk near it and kind of realise that I don't know, it's got a mesh grill there. Good grief, it's a real one. <laughs> you know? uh, just a brilliant thing to see, and deservedly right up there in number six. I'm going to cover fourth and fifth together because it is the fantastic Alpha Sud in that's in position four and the Alpha Sud Sprint Coupe in, in fifth. A car that got so many members of the club into Alfa Romeos in the first place, be it in, from the 70s from New York through the 80s and 90s even. And a sensational machine. We, we could do an entire podcast all about the Alpha Sud. I know David's a, a huge fan and uh, of, of the five of us is the only one that owns one today. Maybe you can say a few words about why it was so special to you. Yeah, I think uh, exactly as you say, it was the car that introduced me to Alfa Romeo. Um, it was my first Alfa Romeo when I was 19 and it was my second and third and fifth Alfa Romeo. So yeah, look, I, I love um, driving them. They're very special. They Their handling is very... I can't say very unique, but the handling really is unique. Um, mm. Once you've experienced it, you want to just keep driving it. And I think that's a really good sign of a really good car, Alfa or otherwise, that you love driving it, you want to drive it some more, and you'd, you know, when, whatever car you're in, you'd kind of like to be in your SUD, and that's kind of where I am with the Alfa SUDs. And, and I know three or four other people who are SUD owners now who their first Alfa was a SUD. So I think it's quite a, a common story, actually. There's quite a lot of us, probably a bit older nowadays, but they were our first Alphas or they were our first, you know, um, oh, yeah. introduction to the mark. Certainly was me. And I, I went from a, a bright yellow Ford Capri into a six-year-old 1.5 Ti Series 2. And just driving up the hill, that was it. Wow, fantastic. And I bought it immediately. And of all the Alphas I've owned, which is over 20 now, that first sub-TI is the one I want back. But I'm sure it's part of a washing machine now or something like that <laughs> through the recycling of metal. But it was just a wonderful thing. To me, the, the incredible thing about the Alphas is if they'd, if they'd had to launch that with you know, a 1.3 Nord engine and it still would have been a, a cracking car because of the way it handled mm. And if they put the boxer engine in something else, it still would have been a cracking car because of the, the characteristics yeah. of the engine. Yeah. But the two together are just, that was it. just it, phenomenal. It was a two together. And just mentioning the sprint, uh, I had one in the late 80s, a 1.5 green cloverleaf. Uh, again, for style with that cutting kind of pointy nose shape, I, I love that machine as well. It didn't drive as nice as my Series 2, I have to say. Um a lot of people say that the sub peaked probably with that Series 95 BHP engine in particular, the twin carb version. But I still absolutely loved my Sprint with its wacky green polka dot upholstery and uh, just its whole feel. It was a wonderful thing to own. I so my first car was was a sub Sprint and I had a, another one a few years later. And just when I said earlier on the GTV6 was the second prettiest 
uh, production coupe Alfa Romeo made the Sprint is an order of magnitude better looking in my mind. It's just <laughs> it's just so much better proportioned and yeah. it's just gorgeous. I, I see one today and I think, wow, that is tiny. <laughs> and that they call it the tumble home, don't they? The way the the, the windows come in the head and gosh, there's not a lot of movement in there. <laughs> uh, but. Wow, at the time, what a machine. They still look fabulous. So moving up the list, we've got a coupe next in third, and it's the the rather amazing Il Mostro, the uh, the monster, the SZES30 stroke RZ, the, the coupe version thereof. And uh, again, another machine for me that sticks in the mind so well from first seeing them in, uh, I think, ah, I'm trying to think, probably the first ones I actually saw in 1990 at National Health Day. I think it was launched in 89. But seeing them in in the first in in red, which was like the only colour you could get initially, again, just what a thing! And very some very very lucky owners of those first ones. Uh, a really good pal of mine, Keith Krog, who's in the East Midlands section, owned one from new, buying it in, um, and he's still got it today. He's done a princely mileage of about eight thousand kilometres in all that time, but he's cherished every mile. <laughs> but uh, what a machine! And just stunning, stunning looks. Yeah, probably wouldn't make the top 10 of prettiest coupes Alfa Romeo made, but still absolutely, yeah, you know, the whole kind of brutalist, just stunning to look yeah, at. Yeah, it was designed to really grab the eye. And again, it's another halo car. The, the range was a bit in the doldrums around uh, late 80s after the Fiat takeover, um, although the 164 had appeared. But it, it just grabbed headlines everywhere as Alpha being sports cars, based on the 75 uh, IMSA racing car underneath. So they, they certainly drive incredibly well too. I know speaking to owners like Steve Ball from Derbyshire section and, and my pal Keith, uh, they can't get enough of them. And uh, fabulous to see at the shows. Best car sticker I've ever seen was obviously a, um, a slightly disgruntled 75 owner who had a, a car sticker that said Il Mostro Originale in the back of the 75. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and in second place is the amazing 8C Competizione. And I guess we didn't probably include the Spider in that as well, but I think for most people, the style of the, the Coupe is the thing. And another incredible car that was introduced in concept form in 2003, I believe, and I actually made production about four years later. I remember having the car on the, the club's NEC Classic Motor Show stand, even though it was brand new. And we got it alongside machines like the TZ1 and TZ2. And it was undoubtedly the star of the show. We were blitzed by people coming to see it. Still, to me, it's well, it, I voted it my favorite um, of, of this list of road going machines. Same. Just the style of the thing and the sound uh, of its um, alpha-ized, let's call it, Maserati stroke. <laughs> stroke. That, is, that is stretching the point. <laughs> it is stretching. I mean, it's, it's got an alpha badge on it, it guy. Yeah? <laughs> it is without doubt, it's without doubt my favourite Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> with that, with that, that, but the sound of that 4.7 V8. But the, the shape of it, to me, can only be an alpha. I just love, yeah. love all the components of it. I mean, David said it of, of 31 to 40 or whichever portion he did, but there's not a car on here I think any of us would, would turn down if we were offered it. No, no. Um, it, it the, the whole top 10 are, are all fantastic That's cars. That's right. Kirsty, you're pro probably the one to have the most recent um, in-car experience of an 8C. Yes, it's uh, it's a fabulous car. It's, it's not only beautiful to look at, but um, 
even as a passenger, it's, it's just great fun. Apart from the fire extinguisher in the passenger footwell. <laughs> um, but no, in, in the competition red, it's just stunning. It's, it's a lovely place to be. With the advantage of being left-hand drive, so everyone thought it was yours. Yes, obviously. <laughs> like it. And again, a lot of the style from the 8C. I remember when the meter was being launched, and of course Dave is very interested in this, um, when the meter was la- initially launched, the powers that be then told them to take that concept away and bring a new one back that's got 8C features. Um, yeah, and, and there are a lot of features. The, the problem is people don't either know that or believe you when you say it. Yeah. But, if, but if you look at a picture of a uh, certainly one of those early competency-only red Mitos yeah. at launch next to an 8C, um, the flared wheel arches, the rear lighting, the the front headlights the sort of the height of the the doors um, yeah. there is a lot that the cars have in common yeah. because they well the designer of the Mito basically pinched all of the good bits and tried <laughs> to squeeze it into a, a little three door so yeah it, you're not going to mistake one from the other but <laughs> it's, it's it's obvious where it came from yeah yeah you'd you'd certainly i mean obviously you'd pick the Mito if you if you had the two to cho- choose from but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> The round rear lights, I remember actually looking at an 8C, trying to spot if there's any actual bits on it that are off or directly lifted from any other alpha. The only thing I could find was the airbag, sorry, the passenger airbag disable key switch that's built into the side side of the front console. That's the only thing I could find. And without wishing to belabor the point, that's because they were all stolen from Maserati. Yeah, more than likely. But the, the shape and everything, it can only be alpha. No, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. I'm just winding you up. Yeah, of course. I will anyway. say we had one, had one on the display at the Silverson Classic a few years ago, and several people ran straight past it and up to the sud that was parked next to it. Really? Goodness yes. me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, we still get it when it's shown at the NEC Classic, and we had one on uh, only a couple of years ago, and there's people thinking it's a current model as well. I think it's got that timeless element to it as well. Moving on from that, though, onto another, onto the overall winner, and I think this wins in a, quite a lot of what's the best Alpha comp- competitions. It didn't surprise me at all, but it's the the T thirty three Stradale, that amazing machine uh, designed by Franco Salioni in in the nineteen uh, sixties. Uh, only eighteen were actually built. I think there's an argument as to are there eighteen or nineteen, but uh, what a machine when it comes to looks. And probably the 8C took a number of its styling hits uh, hints from the from the T33 too. But it's, uh, to me uh, and most people, one of the best, if not the best-looking car of all time. I, I tend in my mind to think of it more of a, as a concept car, and then it comes up against the others that, that it sits alongside in the Museo Storico, cars like the my favourite, the Carabo, the, that green wedge that Gandini designed. But this is this is more of the 60s, those curvaceous machines like uh, Ferraris of the time. And a lot of hints from it went into Ferraris too. But I think the interesting thing to me is that they, they took those spare 33 chassis mm. and gave them to some of the world's best designers yeah. to come up with those concept cars. And I don't think one of them is as good looking as the 33 Stradale was. Yeah, probably they're, not. They're, they're they're interesting um, and and innovative. 
but I don't think any of them work quite as well as the original did. No, I agree. And, and it's another machine you've got to see in the flesh. I mean, it, it was over here in the um, Sustaining Beauty exhibition in London in the early noughties. And uh, they had the uh, they had it actually suspended on its side against the wall. So you could get a kind of uh, aerial view of it. And, and even at that bizarre angle, it looks sensational with that copious uh, glass house on top and the, the features I like are the way like a racing car all the bodywork wraps close around it as if it's been shrink wrapped and of course that style went into the 4C uh, although the 4C was probably a little bit more constrained by its drivetrain width wise and um, to me if I was designing the 4C from scratch I'd make it a little bit narrower but you know when you look at them in profile in particular very very similar uh, the air intake on its hips and and so on but what a machine I, i'm just going to wrap up now we've 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 been through 50 plus cars we've we've kind of looked at our very unscientific poll i i'm just going to go around now and put you all in the awkward position david actually for those listening to the podcast has has just dropped off the zoom call mysteriously so let's just take it as red that david will choose the mito as uh as his favorite out of the the 58 um but if you had to choose one out of all the cars we've talked about today, which would it be, Kirsty? It would be the 8C for me. It's the prettiest half forever, in my mind. Nick? I follow Kirsty, yes. It would be the 8C for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> and, and not to be controversial, I've gone for the 8C competition <laughs> as well, I'm afraid. And that was that was my number one. Um, it's it, Honestly, Guy, you could slice this up so many ways and... You know, if you get, you can do it by age period. You can do it by car type. But gosh, you could, you could draw a winner from every single one of those categories as a car you want to own or would you know love looking at. That there are so many tremendous ones, which is the big appeal of the whole mark for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think re- realistically, out of the fifty-six, there's probably there's forty plus that I would be happy to own if if not more and I'd, I'd have to be persuaded about some of them to, to say no <laughs> yeah. um but it, it totally impractical and unlikely as it is it would have to be the 33 Shredale for me it's just <laughs> it is just exquisite uh david while, while you dropped off we've just explained to listeners we've just gone around and had everybody forced everybody to pick their one car from the the 50 odd that we've spoken to so we we assumed you were going to pick the meter. Well, it would be a tight, it would be a tight battle actually between the meter and the Alpha Sud. Um, <clears throat> I have to confess, I would probably go with the Sud. Um, I think, I mean, look, you said there's 30 or 40 cars there that you could have. I would have about 25 or 30 Mitos. Um, yeah. and the rest <laughs> you have well, got yeah, about 25 or 30. Um, and the rest of my my obviously acquired factory um would would have <laughs> half a dozen uh Suds and Sprints in it. <laughs> I like it. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure everybody listening has their their own opinions, and and we'll voice them on social media over the next couple of days, which is uh, absolutely great. But uh, thanks to the four of you for for joining me today on for our fiftieth podcast. I'm sure we'll be back together in a month or two for another round table. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Yeah. One last thing to do before we finish the discussion on the top 50. We offered three tickets for National Alpha Day to those who took the time to rank the top 10. And the winners, drawn at random, were John Williams. That's not the John Williams who writes auctions and other funny business for the magazine. Kerry Ellis and Jack Hodson. Well done, all three of you. We'll be in touch shortly.
Just a quick plug for another event, and this one's a bit of an experiment. On Tuesday the 2nd of February, that's this coming Tuesday at 7.45, Chris Reese of Auto Italia will be giving a talk to the Thames Valley section monthly meeting. Numbers were limited and there was a lot of demand from inside and outside the section, so we're going to attempt to live stream it on the club's main Facebook group and on our YouTube channel. Details are in the podcast blurb. And we'll be back in two weeks' time on Sunday the 13th of February when I'll be talking to Darren Collins, who's the creator of the Tipo 184 kit car, inspired by Alpha's dominant Tipo 158 and 159 Formula 1 cars from the 1950s. Episode 51 will be available to download from 1.30pm from the club website, iTunes, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe. (laughs) 